0: Hi, I'm Molly Moran, and this is the Table Wine Podcast. I am joined by my lovely co-host, Andy Stoiber.
1: Hello, Molly.
0: Hi, Andy. Tell the people where we are.
1: We are in the Table Wine Shop, the brick and mortar location. There are customers just a stone's throw from us.
0: It's true. So if you hear voices in the background or our acoustics aren't so great, it's because we're in a wine shop. But that's kind of fun because it's the Saturday before Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, and, we're and having fun Saturday from... Small Business Saturday.
0: It's true. One week till Small Business Saturday, which is a great day for everyone to get out.
1: I'm away here. I was like, is it today? But I was like, oh no, that's the day after Black Friday. It's the day after Black Friday. But this neighborhood is so cute and people are already about shopping before Thanksgiving. And it's a nice day, comparatively speaking. Right. 40 degrees feels so much better than 30 degrees.
0: So Andy, I wanted to start with a listener question that's just for you. What? What did you drink this past week? When you listen to Red, Taylor's version. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is a real listener. question. This is a real listener question. Somebody asked me and they, I said, well, you know, I didn't listen to Red, so. Uh, okay. Oh.
1: I, didn't I didn't listen to Red while drinking. I don't think. I'm trying to think. I watched SNL last week when she was on doing her 10-minute piece, artistic extravagance. was I drinking then? I think I might have been drinking then. And let's say if I was, it was a Pinot Noir. Let's say it was Burgundy. Let's say I drank a Burgundy last Saturday after the Pinot Noir drinking from our Sideways episode. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, God, I love Pinot. And then I was like, let's drink some Burgundy. So I drank a Burgundy while listening to Red.
0: You drank a Red while Um, listening to Red? (laughs) Yes,
1: I I drank Red (laughs) Burgundy while listening to Red. Also, if I did drag, Red Burgundy would be my drag name.
0: Oh, that's good. I like that. Isn't that good? Yeah, I like that. see you in drag. Thank you. you.
1: (laughs) I love that. That's a great question. Thank you, listener. But what I I, I did want to address, we were supposed to record earlier in the week because we want to get this out by Thanksgiving. And so it's a tight turnaround. Molly and I are both very busy right now. If you don't know, the holidays are an extremely busy time at a wine shop. Surprise, surprise. But so Thursday, we were supposed to meet and the day before I made a really bad choice to (laughs) eat almost exclusively dairy. Um, <laughs> had leftover pizza for lunch and then I procrastinated some work and I was like I'm going to make spinach and artichoke dip and that was dinner, like a lot of spinach and artichoke mm. dip and then the only other thing I ate that day, I had ice cream Oh, and then the next day I was like, oh no You what tell was me, I can't eat that much dairy? <laughs> I mean, that's way too much dairy for any human being to eat in a 12 hour period <laughs>
0: <laughs> So so that's why we didn't record earlier yeah, yeah, i'm sorry i'm sorry okay. it's true though. i forgive you it was
1: not great it was my body was dealing with
0: some things <laughs> i love that you're willing to share that with everybody Andy.
1: i thought it was funny where i'm like why didn't i realize this i feel like most people realize don't eat back to back to back dairy happy thanksgiving molly
0: thanks andy happy thanksgiving to you
1: uh thank you and so when this comes out what do you think you'll be doing
0: what I'll be doing when this comes out, uh, it'll be the day before Thanksgiving, which means two things. One, it's the, one of the busiest days of the year at the shop. And because people didn't get to travel for the holidays last year, people are traveling this year. So I will be personing the counter for a while here at the shop. So I will be helping people get their last minute wines and things like that. I will have guests in town by then. I will need to be cooking. At all hours of the day when I am not here at work. And I'm going to try to also go to the gym. <laughs> I'm already stressed about next Wednesday. Thanks for that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just you describing that. I thought of Hermione and the time turner. Like you're, <laughs> you need to be in multiple places at the same time. Yes. To accomplish what you just
0: described. And it's true. That's how my life feels right now. Amazing. What, what will you be doing?
1: <laughs> um, oh, Eating too sleeping, much
0: cheese? If this
1: comes out at 10 a.m., I want to be asleep still. I'll probably be writing a paper that's overdue and then cooking, I hope, maybe, drinking wine and just taking in the holiday break if I can. It's hard. In my days, I never know. it. Like, 48 hours in advance is a tricky, tricky to know where I'll be. And that's when people, people always, I'm really bad at making plans and committing to people because yes. I'm like, honestly, I just don't know why.
0: He's really bad at it. I tried to get him to make plans with me for dinner. I've been trying for six months now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
1: only partially, it's true. I'm really bad at making commitments. All this moody. It's just like, what if I'm not in the mood that moment? It's because <laughs> I like psychotherapy. I need it. We won't go too much into that, but let me know if you feel similarly about making commitments. Also the pandemic made like exacerbated that problem where it's yeah. like, oh, now I went months of having to make commitments. And making them now is just hard. I know Unless it's I like really like. exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm oh. sorry. Dinner with me is not exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I responded this week like I right know, away. I know he did. He did. I was I excited. Shouldn't, shouldn't give him too much shit.
1: Oh my goodness. Um, What's, I just wanted like happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm, I'm sure many of you are listening while beginning your Thanksgiving day. Maybe the Macy's Day parade just happened. And the dog show is on. I do I've come to love the dog show. We want to make this a staple of Thanksgiving right? for you.
0: And so we wanted to feature some clips from earlier episodes that didn't make it into the original cut, not because they're not great content, but for purpose of time. So these are some of our favorite bits that we are excited to share with you all.
1: Yeah, you might even say the content was too good. Made the rest <laughs> of the episode look bad comparatively.
0: That's true. <laughs> So, up first is a tiny little bit of information about the history of champagne and why we don't see sweet champagne here in the US. Enjoy. This is a tangent, but just thinking about champagne to go back to champagne for a second. So there's a style of champagne that's very sweet that we never see in the US, DO, DOUX and It dates back to pre-Bonaparte times. But the reason that we never see it in the U.S. is because when Napoleon was pushing eastward, he had this champagne with him. And that was like the most common style of champagne at the time was like sweet champagne. And he gets all the way to Russia and had this champagne and the Russians had it. The Russians and Napoleon meet and they have battles and the Russians are pushing back on it. And the Russians get some of this champagne and they develop a taste for sweet champagne. And so champagne houses to this day still make sweet champagne and it all gets sent to Russia. And now parts of Asia, like it's filtered east. So my understanding is that the Chinese, you know, particularly the wealthy, like that kind of like society in Asia where they have more money than any of us could ever imagine that sweet champagne is kind of a thing is kind of like a status mm-hmm. thing and so it's pushed eastward and we've ne- we'll never get to taste it unless we go there
1: fascinating yeah that's super interesting
0: that's what i'm talking about like wine history you know there's yeah, so much
1: we- isn't that great thank you molly for your knowledge i mean truly it's really a privilege to know someone who knows a lot about the history of wines and champagne because it's niche, but so fascinating.
0: Thank you. I don't think I thought of myself as much of an expert as I realize that I am. And I know that the second you kind of call yourself an expert, then you're kind of an a-hole. But I, I mean more like, I don't think I knew how much I know until we started podcasting and I realized that I can just talk about all this stuff off the cuff. And I don't have people ask me if this is all scripted. This is all freeform. Andy and I do not prep really at all. I do. I mean, we do privately, but we don't like script or anything. And so this is all just stuff I have in my head. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Side note while thinking about Champagne and Russia, oh. the second season of The Great came out. I haven't started it yet, but can we just say a huzzah for the people? Huzzah. huzzah. We're not going to throw our glasses on the ground, but oh my goodness. If you have not discovered the joy that is the great, you need to get yourself.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah, so watch the great. And the whole season came out, which I was really happy about. Yeah. I just, it's, it's so good.
0: It's true. We do have glasses though. We do. Yeah. We're drinking as we record right now. So this is a rosé from American Wine Project, which is an incredible winery here in Wisconsin. It is in Mineral Point, Wisconsin. What?
1: A Wisconsin winery?
0: (laughs) It's true. It is a small operation owned by Aaron Rasmussen, who learned winemaking on the West Coast and came back to Wisconsin to really show off native grapes and to kind of take Wisconsin wine in a different direction than it had been headed for a while. And this is her rosé. It is 90% of a red grape called sabrevois and 10% of a white grape called Saint Pepin. The color is quite dark. And that is just because sabrevois the red grape, is very dark in color. So if you are lucky enough to get yourself a bottle of the Social Creature, that's the name of the wine, you might be a little like, is this red wine or is this rosé? And it is rosé. It's just Sabrevoix happens to have a lot of pigment.
1: I like that it's called Social Creature because back to not wanting to commit to things stay home cancel plans,
0: open a bottle of social
1: creature and
0: And pretend you're a social (laughs) creature (laughs) makes you feel better yes
1: okay thing that came up this week i was thinking about wine drinking and sharing wine and this i know there's a study that shows how drink eating food eating the same food with a group of people builds bonds between you you trust each other more and all of that and i was like this is it has to apply to wine maybe there's someone who wants to be like splitting hairs about it. But you think about opening a bottle of wine, and I was thinking about this with my partner, of like, we can both be drinking the same thing. There's enough nuance and complexity to essentially any bottle of wine where it sparks, it's an easy conversation starter Mm -hmm. and a way for you to enjoy something and like, say something, uh, like, you know, different than you normally might say in your day-to-day life.
0: (laughs) I like that.
1: Where you're like, oh yeah, I like that. Like, I'm always impressed. I love people. Always impress me when they when I ask them or when they are willing to just tell me about they think about the wine. I I think people naturally not maybe not all people but many people have a really great instinct about what they're getting and they're just reticent in most wine drinking situations. But when they actually say it, I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Like I love that. And maybe it's my own insecurity, but I think people are great at it. And I agree.
0: I uh, two two anecdotes come to mind. One. The person who is actually working behind the counter right now is new to table wine, but she's young. And the first time she tasted here, she just immediately said such great things that I was like, yep, that's it. That's the thing I look for in in employees, but also just like customers that are exciting to engage with. Like just that willingness to say stuff. I think you've said that a couple of times, just willingness to talk about it. But also I got an email from a customer last night. that was like the sweetest email and it was like, tell me what I'm tasting Here's what I think. And then she broke down this wine, the acidity, the tannin, the body, the tasting. And I was like, you don't need me. Like, you've learned everything you need. Like, fly away, little bird. You're great. Like, I was like, I don't have anything to add to that. You are perfect right where you are. And the whole gist of the email was, because I really love this wine. I was like, that's really the, let's just start there. That's the most important thing. So I love that. Yeah.
1: And let's just say, great for Thanksgiving. If you're with people, like many of you probably are. is a non-political conversation true. piece. I love bringing wine to my fit Thanksgivings now. And I say, like, like, what do you guys think? It's fun. And you do kind of have to prompt people. Like, I thought about the wine I brought well, for you all to drink.
0: To tie it with the movies that we've done so far this year, I think that, like, you don't need to be the ladies in wine country who are like, yeah, I don't care about the, Let's not talk about it. But you also don't have to be miles from sideways. Like, well, let me tell you all the things, right? There's, like, the yes. happy... In-between place of like, oh, this social creature kind of tastes like cranberries. Oh, it's kind of reminding me of fall, you know, and you can just kind of talk about it,
1: yeah. I think that you said that perfectly. Falling in between those two kinds of wine drinkers is where I think both of us like to fall, yeah, though i <laughs> I think we all are like eagerly looking out to find the miles person because I think they're entertaining if you find you think someone they're entertaining that absurd. I mean, it's just absurd. Like sure. you can okay. kind of just laugh at them.
0: Yeah. We're going to go to a second clip. And when we get back, we're going to talk about our visualization of this wine. Cause I know Andy needs time oh. to sit, <laughs> stew on that. So we're not going to oh, press I got him something right already. Up.
1: What is the next clip?
0: Well, a while ago, Andy, I don't know that he made a mistake, but he asked a question about books, which then made me launch into a whole oh. diatribe about Sally Rooney. And so we, kept a little bit of that in the episode, but there's a lot more that we had to say about literature and Sally Rooney. So we're going to play that for you now.
1: And so this is from episode four. Enjoy our unabridged Sally Rooney conversation.
0: So it's one last chat before we go, I guess. So, Andy, what's our question this week?
1: All right. So I saw that you posted on Instagram that you're reading beautiful world where are you right by sally rooney Mm -hmm. that's the name of the Mm -hmm. thing i'm also reading it i start i mean i started it like i got it when it came out i had it shipped to me and so i tore through the first half and then i got busy but i would love to hear about your thoughts on it i've also read sally rooney's other books i particularly have enjoyed this one i think it's her best I've read Conversations
0: think? with Friends. I have amazingly normal people's the thing I don't know anything about. I've not seen it or read it, so I don't know anything about normal people.
1: I forget which one's which. Like, they, normal people's so the one with the show.
0: Normal people's the one with the show. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So is that her first book? That was her first no, book. No, right? Conversations with, with, with Friends, with friends is the oh. yeah,
0: Conversations with Friends is the first, which is why I started there and then
1: Okay. I yeah.
0: Was planning on reading Normal People, but then Beautiful World came out, and so then I just skipped ahead. My husband is in books. I think I've mentioned this before. And so I don't know if you all know about the hubbub of the Sally Rooney publicity machine, but it was something fierce. So leading up to the publication of this book, there are these things called advanced reader copies. So they're, they're free copies that publishers send out to bookstores and reviewers and people in the industry. And the purpose is to get a lot of people to read a book in advance of it getting published so that there's already, like, a buzz about it. And the Sally Rooney advanced reader copies were impossible, impossible to get. They came with swag, and, like, different people on the ladder got different types of swag. Uh, And so, like, if you have a Sally Rooney tote, like, you are OG, beautiful world, where are you? And other people got the bucket hat, but they didn't get the tote. And, like, apparently, walking around the streets of New York City is, like, fierce like people will call you out for the fact that you have a sally rooney tote i am not kidding wow
1: i mean i love it and i hate it i know right
0: (laughs) and so connor tried to get an advanced reader's copy we get advanced reader's copies of lots of books so that he can read the authors before he books the events with them and he was told like oh that's so cute that you asked (laughs) i mean they they were nicer than that but so leading up to all of this i was like holy crap how good could this book possibly be like my lord Mm. And then I started to read it, and I think that she might be our Hemingway. Like, I think she just uses such clear prose. It seems like it's simple. Mm -hmm. It's not. There's a scene in the Little Women movie, which I know, I know that some people take umbrage with that movie, but Greta Gerwig added some lines that Amy March... Mm is encouraging Joe to write and Joe says like something like but you know nobody wants to hear the stories of women or like the stories of women aren't important and Amy says like they're important if we write them they're important if we say them and it fe- feels very much to me like Sally Rooney is like by writing these stories these like I don't know very narrow lensed movie or stories right like four characters yeah. you're like saying that real life is important
1: Yes. And it's I valid. Agree. I mean, I've lost. I mean, that
0: was such a long answer. Yeah, you went on. I'm sorry. But I just like if there's something that I could talk about more than wine, it's books. And <laughs> Brandon Taylor what? reviewed her book for New- The New York Times. And like, God, I could just like wax on about Brandon Taylor's writing. And then the fact that he reviewed Sally. And then, oh, God, I just like love it all. I just love it.
1: See, but like she's two and a half years older than me. I just looked, she just, she's 30 and she's had three ultra successful books as so a part of me. And I'm sure, especially other people who are in the, like who are, I'm thinking of a friend I know on Instagram who's a writer and has a book coming out and like is about that age, maybe 30. Like how, what a standard be like, oh my God, I have another 30 year old trying to write a book or have a book coming out. And I have Sally Rooney at my competition because she's become so ubiquitous and beloved. And the first two books, which, I mean, I liked. And every time I read those, I was like, man, I could write this. Like, it does. It looks easy. Like, she makes it look so easy. And it was, like, almost frustrating because it felt so much a reflection of normal life. Like, I'm like, this is something. But who can do that?
0: Like, that's what's so masterful. Is the rest of us, when we go to write real life, write shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Because it, it just feels like, well, this is life. Like, I could write about my life this way. I, why am I not a successful yeah. <laughs> global bestseller? But this book, I think for me, I really enjoy because it essentially she's taking on some of the biggest ideas and issues today from romance to climate change to just like
0: celebrity. I mean, author celebrity.
1: To cele- oh, yeah. Author celebrity is like, yeah, the whole, Huge. The whole thing. Right. And. She uses this format of email exchanges that allow it to just be this dialogue of here's a long thought about this topic. And then the friend responds. And the way that she articulates these ideas, because it's just an email form or it's just really an essay, are just so beautifully put. And i and this time I'm like, oh, like yeah, thank you for putting it this way. Like I wish I could have written it this way. You're articulating all of these issues that we're dealing with in such a beautiful way. Uh, that's not about finding answers, but just like articulating problems and questions that I think, I mean, I resonate with as a millennial and someone close for age where I feel like it's like, oh yeah, like this is how I feel about these issues. And you're you're putting it in such beautiful, plain language and questioning things in a, the way I, I've always wanted to say. Yeah. So I, I mean, the, I'll, I want to recommend the book. Yeah. silly to finish the book.
0: I got about, I was 50 pages from the end and I got really frustrated with one of the characters and I was like, oh. you're gonna, you're gonna mess this up. I just like you. I can tell you're gonna mess it up, and then I w- I won't give away anything about the ending. But I felt okay when I finished last night.
1: Okay, I felt alright
0: yesterday afternoon. Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. Before we turn this into a book cast, <laughs>
1: book club. <laughs> we'll do wine that club sometime. We'll do
0: how about we'll do wine book sometime, but not for a yeah.
1: while. Yeah. it'll no, okay. we'll be Some time. Well, great. I'm glad we got to discuss that book.
0: Have you finished, Sally Rooney, now that we're back, Andy? I have. I did
1: finish. And I was waiting for the moment you were describing that, like, 50 pages left, that something happens. That upset, like, it's like, oh, no, I need to finish this. And, yeah, similarly, I was like, oh, no, don't do this. Which is the brilliance of this author and these characters is that they're so frustrating but so human. And when you want to hate them and think no one would actually behave this way and self-sabotaging... You're like, oh, no, that's what humans do. I think it is, it is definitely my favorite Sally Rooney book. And so if you've liked either of our other books, definitely read this. If you found her other books, I don't know, not as relevant to the world. I think this one is really relevant. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, this one is capturing really big ideas in a micro way that connects us to each other. And It would be a
0: great gift for the holidays. Yeah,
1: it would be. It
0: would. Right? Yeah,
1: it's true. Which... Well, let's talk about the wine first. Okay. Let's Um, talk about the wine. Because my first sip, I thought carbonic maceration, mm. there's, which I can say the term, can I describe what it means? That is as
0: well as Molly
1: can. So please, Molly. (laughs) I did
0: that. I did that in the sideways episode. I talked about Beaujolais Nouveau and I explained carbonic maceration. So go back and listen to that episode. So perfect. No, I don't think that this wine has carbonic maceration. My understanding is the red, the Sabre is is normal press. Like they press the grapes and ferment the juice. The Saint Pepin, which is just that 10% of white, that is whole cluster fermentation. But that's not carbonic, so that's not going to be the same thing.
1: I love Pinot Noirs in particular that have whole cluster on as part of their thing. Yeah. Can you tell me more?
0: Yeah. So if you don't know what that means from the name, you can figure it's, it out. It
1: sounds, <laughs> it sounds self-explanatory. It's
0: self-explanatory. What they are fermenting is the entire cluster of grapes. So it is the stems, the grapes themselves, the skins, the seeds, the whole thing. So with Pinot specifically, why they do it is that Pinot is a lighter tannin grape grape. So when you don't do whole cluster fermentation with Pinot, it can come out, you know, the word a lot of people use is thin. When people say, like, I don't want a watery Pinot or something like that, that's often a Pinot that is not whole cluster fermentation. When you ferment it with some of the skins and seeds, they, those do have tannin in them. So it gives the wine a little bit more tannin, a little bit more structure, um, So that's why you do it with Pinot. So in the case of St. Pepin, they're doing the same thing. It's a white grape, but it's the same thing where you're kind of giving it a little bit more tannin. So this wine that we have is not carbonic, but it does have so much acidity that it's just like tingly on your tongue.
1: Yeah. The first sip was just like, and so this is going to my visualization. I visualized sea foam, like an ocean, Mm. foamy, foamy ocean vibes. Like I'm lost at sea in green blue waves Mm. and lots of foam. And I'm going to stick with that because I think this—I could drown in this wine if I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. That's great. I am picturing—it is not a real place, but a picture like a dance club.
1: You just reminded me of a good little anecdote, though. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, after I interviewed here four years ago, <laughs> the night after I interviewed, so I did not have this job yet. I had just met Molly and Connor. You know, eight hours earlier, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, I learned they they did see me again that day.
0: <laughs> we did. Where
1: where was I? Where yeah, well, were we?
0: We we were at Merchant, which is a restaurant here in Madison that I don't know if it still exists. I think it's undergoing some changes. Mm-hmm. So at the time when we went, it was a kind of a, not an anomalous place because it was restaurant during the early evening and then it became a club at night and there was this weird period of time where people could still get food from the kitchen but there was a dj and so there was dancing so connor and i were sitting in a big comfy booth having dinner and the dance floor had a lot of young guys on it and andy was one of those guys and i was like "Ah, i think that's the guy i just interviewed and i was like he's got good moves like i was like way to go man um Yeah. And then I felt kind of like I was spying on you and I felt like it was, I I don't follow any of my employees on social media. I don't look at anybody's social media when they apply for a job. I only become friends with you after you leave working for me out of respect for your, you having a life.
1: Very... Respectful, And
0: so I just found like, I was like, oh, no, oh, no, we have to go. Like, I was like, Andy gets to have this. And like, I don't want to be awkward at all if Andy notices that I'm here. So, yes. Hilarious. I think this wine is that night, though. Like this to me is like that kind of like, I don't know, upbeat house music or maybe like 90s hip hop, like just happy. Like it's like upbeat and makes me want to dance.
1: Purple haze. That's what (laughs) (laughs) what I'm thinking now. I love. No, I think that's fair. I think this is. A quaffable, like, I could drink this while dancing and that's what I mean yeah. while I'm partying for sure. Yeah, yeah, I see this in two respects.
0: Well, and then it was funny because you said sea foam, but you kept saying foam, and then in my head, I'm like at a foam party. Yeah,
1: no, that too. <laughs> that too. If wherever yeah. there's foam, this wide. See, will it's a social
0: creature, right? Like, it's it
1: is so good. I mean, if you're listening to this and you have time to run out and buy wine, highly recommend this for your Thanksgiving. Um, I agree, or your day after Thanksgiving. Like,
0: yeah, help cure I that specifically hangover. brought it in. So that we could talk about it today, because I like it so darn much.
1: Which I wanted to bring up a bigger point, since this is Wisconsin wine. Not all Wisconsin wine is equal. Not. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a big a question I'm getting from friends that are coming from out of state, especially from places that are known for their wine making, like in California. And they're like, I see Wisconsin sells wine. In the same tone that I have when I'm like driving through Indiana, I'm like, Indiana sells wine? And you realize every state has these signs on their exits that are like, oh, come to the winery here. And it's like, why does the middle of Iowa have a winery? But the reality is, like, every state, including Alaska, has wineries. Like, they grow grapes and make wine. But that wine is not, I would say, in the same category as what we can what we consider wine from the dominant wine growing regions like California. Right. and Well,
0: the wine grapes that grow here in Wisconsin and in a lot of the states, they're not the same types of grapes as regular wine grapes. So it's not Vitis vinifera. They are different grapes. They are cold hardy grapes, which is how they survive our winters. It's why they have different flavor profiles and why their names are like Saprovois and St. Pepin. And you don't necessarily know what those are or what those mean. The things that are interesting about these grapes are that they tend to be higher in acid. They don't get as ripe because it's not as warm in Wisconsin as it is in California. And the way that winemaking has historically gone uh, here in Wisconsin and in other Northern climes is that they add sugar to these wines to make them in theory more palatable what you end up getting is something that is pretty high in acid and when I say high in acid I'm not talking about like my beloved Muscadet or Sancerre I mean like straight acid and then also sweet and sometimes weirdly or artificially sweet tasting and they're not particularly balanced there's not a lot of nuance to them And it's one of the reasons Erin is not the only person who's making great wine here in Wisconsin, but she is somebody that I really, really admire for what she's doing. Because you can taste, like, this is what this grape tastes like. I can start to get to know this grape. She makes a red called Switch Theory that always sells incredibly well here. And you can start to learn, like, I like Frontenac. I didn't Mm -hmm. even know that was the name of a grape. Mm -hmm. But you have to have a good winemaker who trusts themselves and doesn't want to cover everything up with a bunch of sugar.
1: Yeah, which... I think is especially important for folks who are really dedicated to shopping and sourcing local, where I, people are like, well, what's some Wisconsin wine? I want something as local as possible. And you don't want to usually give them a lot of the things that are grown and made in Wisconsin, but this is the exception. Yeah. Um, well, I think we have a question. I have a question for you, Molly. What are you going to be drinking this Thanksgiving.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. Here's what I know already. I had a nerve. <laughs> no, it's not a nerve. It's just like a. there are last-minute decisions that get made. So I'm making a punch that involves cognac and amontillado sherry and lemon. So we'll start oh. with that. So I always like to go with an off-dry white of some sort. So I think this year it's going to be the Champalou Vouvray. I always like to have a lighter-bodied red. So I'm going to have Claude de Rayette. Beaujolais. Fleury specifically is the region within Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. So we will have that. That's not going to be enough wine. And that's why I go Ugh, and then I don't know what else we'll be drinking. Those are the things I know already. Then I tend to make always have a dessert drink of some sort. It doesn't always have to be dessert wine, but I like to make have like a special after dinner drink too. So. Uh, you could come. I'd- Andy. <laughs> <laughs> he looks at me longingly me like I didn't invite him. No, you
1: did No, it's a good... I need to get, step up my wine game or drinking game. Because I feel like Thanksgiving can be an equal drinking holiday as much as an eating holiday. Which brings me to another thing. I have so many things that I'm thinking about. <laughs> yes. But if you want to be a little fancy when you're around the table to throw out some wine knowledge thinking about what are the base, some basic things about what you're drinking with what you're eating because they're so intertwined this week, why it's exciting to be drinking Beaujolais or Gamay with your Thanksgiving meal and why you can say that like works or like why it's a good match. So, yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you a lot to work with or maybe very little. Basic things for people to be able to explain to their guests or companions about why it's so special they're drinking X while eating Y.
0: Oh. Is that what you guys do? Do you explain to your guests what they, why they like what
1: No, like, just what in, in a really casual that? way. And, you know, it's just like, a, oh, yeah, well, the Beaujolais goes great with his cranberry sauce.
0: <laughs> See, I don't do that. I don't know, man. That's not like, I don't know. I think people like to
1: do that. I like to do that. Okay,
0: so you want me Be to casual. give you... <laughs>
1: Me, for people like me, Weapons in your
0: arsenal, like knowledge to drop and act like you just like, oh, it just like came out of nowhere. Yes, exactly. Look at me. I'm so clever.
1: Exactly. You want me to help
0: you be clever? Is that what you're asking for? (laughs) Yep. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it depends on what you're drinking. Of course. Let's say you're drinking Gamay or Pinot Noir. You could, you know, talk about the fact that high acid reds go with food better than low acid reds, reds that have lower tannins also pair more easily and that's why they work so well with thanksgiving because thanksgiving has such a myriad flavors on the plate you got to take a lot of things into consideration one of the things with thanksgiving pairing is that you kind of do have to decide what you want to accomplish with your pairing and this is stuff that i mean someone could talk about this with their friends their people you have to kind of decide what is important to you from a pairing perspective is it that you just like i want wine that's not going to get interfere with the food and make most people happy, which I think is the m- the majority of people on Thanksgiving, right? We do Thanksgiving packs here at the store. And when I'm picking those things out, I'm trying to find things that are like, they're going to pair nicely, but you don't have to like think about them too much. Then there are the people who are like, well, my mom makes world famous mashed potatoes, right? And so I'm like, okay, let's go with a creamy Chardonnay that's going to echo the creamy notes in those mashed potatoes and th- really play that up. Then there are the people who are like, we're all going to... Tuscany next year as a family so what could we do oh well actually Chianti surprisingly pairs really nicely with Thanksgiving and so go after the place like that kind of thing so I do think you have to kind of figure out where you want the wine to be
1: yes I love I loved the mashed potatoes example in particular because when you said that I was like yeah what are you going to drink with mashed potatoes and then it's kind of obvious you go with the buttery thing and that's I remember you told me about buttered popcorn and chardonnay which who's famous for that isn't there someone who's really into... Is it Carrie Washington in Scandal? Or wait, Well, she drinks bo-
0: Bordeaux and buttered popcorn. That's Bordeaux the part that doesn't make popcorn. sense. Yeah, she drinks is- red wine and buttered popcorn. It's gro- It's That's weird. It's painful to watch.
1: But the thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's congruent or complementary correct. in the flavor profiles between your wine and your food. And so all these notes that Molly writes up on wine, and when a Chardonnay says buttery, that means this will go great with buttery food. It's kind of obvious And then the alternative in the complimentary way is that you're getting something that is like intersecting with the flavors to
0: bring out about a new flavor or to give you a new taste sensation. Yeah. It's it's
1: not, this isn't brain science in that sense, but I think it's something that people don't think about and what the notes are there for when, you know, if you got a little rosemary in your meal and there's a... Nebbiolo with rosemary. What's a good yeah. example of the Nebbiolo? A Bordeaux. A Bordeaux with an, um, rosemary. Thank you. That those things are really, you might bring out the rosemary more. And it's really fun to see how those things match up. Um, and
0: one thing I always do like to tell people is that it's not an either or proposition in terms of what you're going to like. You might sometimes like the congruent pairing. You might sometimes like the complementary pairing. And also, it depends on what you like to drink, right? If the idea of a buttery chardonnay really makes you like angry, you're never gonna like it, no matter how objectively it's a good pairing with mashed potatoes. You're just you're not gonna get there, right? It's true. You're, you're not. Very true. But if you know, you might like a Bordeaux with your rosemary in this dish but then some other time you actually like the Bordeaux with something that is not herbaceous because it adds the herbaceous note to the dish, right? So you don't always have to like the same thing.
1: So true. And I'm just gonna give a quick call out to sparkling wine. A, because it's staring me in the face right now, this beautiful table full of sparkling wine. B, because if you're doing any fried food, sparkling wine and fried food is like this awesome match made in heaven. And C, I'm thinking about how sparkling wine is the kind of an ideal palate cleanser. If you're drinking, like eating just like a bunch of different things as we usually do, it's a great way to just kind of like cleanse the palate between it's true. bites of different things.
0: I drank kava and had fish fry last night and it was delightful. Andy, I think we have one more clip that we want to share with the people.
1: It's true. And so I will say this last clip is a little tangent I had on Pinot Noir because... There's two kind of Pinot's in the world, Molly.
0: <laughs> there are. <laughs> there's, there's Pinot the, Noir and there's all the other stuff. Say <laughs> yeah.
1: so the OG and the newfangled fuller bodied Pinot. Mm-hmm. So here's a little clip from our sideways episode, the last episode of our season, that talks about this new trend. Yeah, what I I guess what's important to note, I think, is that Pinot Noir. Seems to be getting fuller, the style that's popular. And I guess Mayomi like, is maybe one of the champions of that, where they're blending grapes from different regions and maybe putting something that's not Pinot Noir in there. Is that not that
0: maybe. Up. They're um,
1: definitely doing that. But that seems to be more and more popular. I see a lot of Pinot's that are described as medium bodied, and I'm like, that's not what Pinot Noir is supposed to be.
0: I still remember the first time I taught Pinot Noir class at Table Wine years ago, and I always do an intro question, something along the lines of, you know, like, how much do you like this grape or how frequently are you drinking it to just kind of get a sense of what people's experiences with whatever the topic is. And more than one person said, like, I like full-bodied wines, like Pinot. And I was so confused. And then we tasted six different Pinot Noirs that I thought of as very classic Pinots from different places in the world. And the whole class, to a person, was like, this is bizarre. These don't taste like anything I've ever had before. And I had to actually go out and buy some of those grocery store brands so that I had an understanding of like what people are expecting. And what people are expecting is a wine that is actually Pinot Noir. And then 25% of Syrah, Shiraz, Petit Syrah, Zinfandel, goodness big, knows. Big wine. Big so juice. big. Boo- boozy dark, you know, they're not pretty and translucent. They're not this color and they don't taste anything like this. And if you are listening to this and you're like, yeah, yeah, totally. I love those wines. That is like, seriously, it is actually great. Like those wines and be totally happy with it. Just know that what you like might not actually be the characteristics of Pinot Noir. You might like the characteristics of those other things that are being blended in, or you might like the kind of not prototypical parts that they're going after. Whereas this is like a very textbook example wine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which I think is really great. And it makes it really enjoyable. I don't think this is like life-changing Pinot Noir, but it is like very, a a, very good example of it that I would be happy if I asked for Pinot Noir and was served this at a restaurant. I'd be very pleased. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: would drink this wine every day.
1: The Folk Machine is a Central Coast Pinot, right? That's Central Coast. It is. And that's another Uh, nice, mm -hmm. leaner, Mm -hmm. focused light (laughs) style of Pinot. So it's not that all Pinot Noir are from Central Coast, obviously, because we're drinking from Central Coast. But I do think I'm always a little skeptical when I see a Central Coast Pinot out in the wild, what that will be.
0: I agree. And I think one of the ways that people can try to figure it out for themselves is looking at the alcohol. Now, in the U.S., we have 2% wiggle room on our labeling. So if something is listed, this wine is listed at 13.2% that means that it could be as low as 11.2 or as high as 15.2. It's rare with a small producer that they're trying to fool you. They're they're likely, and particularly somebody who's saying 0.2, I feel like they're probably being pretty honest with that. But as you're looking at the pinots on the shelf, because you might not know, if you see a pinot that's above 14%, that's odd. The pinot doesn't tend to get that ripe. And so... That's kind of a sign to you that that's going to be that kind of like lusher style. And maybe that's again, maybe that's totally your jam. Maybe it's not.
1: I could go down a whole rabbit hole here about alcohol, like the the things on a wine bottle that you can use to help you understand if you'll like it or not, (laughs) because there's a lot of information. I mean, this is such a big rabbit hole or, you know, confusing quagmire to go down.
0: I think we honestly should do a whole season about it.
1: That sounds good. Because, yeah, I was trying to think about how how do you teach someone about wine if you if just using wine labels and how they can figure it out? And I was like, okay, alcohol is one of the things I used or in thinking about it, as was old world versus new world. But those are pretty imprecise measures. They are. there A lot of it is things imprecise measures. You kind of have to grope around. But...
0: I see season I know what season 2 is going to be about. So, I see season 3 or 4 in our future. That's great. Right. I like that we'll talk about good. good. That was great. I love talking about full-bodied Pinot. Andy and I have had this conversation many times with each other and with customers. So,
1: And it's good. I remember hearing I think you taught me about Maomi as like this big like <laughs> Infamous Pinot Noir that is. I love is, that
0: you keep name-checking it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not awkward at all. Mm. Why? No, it's true though. But then I like,
1: you, I started seeing it at Target and at Costco, and like, it is a, it is a ubiquitous Pinot Noir that's not cheap. It's like in the twenty to thirty dollar range, depending on where you're finding it. Um, is it? Well, I think it can be as cheap as sixteen, but it can okay. go up. I think like it it's it's not cheap. It sources, I think, grapes for like three places. A few years ago on Thanksgiving, maybe I was like. On some holiday, I had run out of wine or didn't have anything I wanted to drink. So I ran to like my grocery store in my hometown and found a bottle of Mayomi. And I was like, I'm going to try this. And it was delicious. Like, I'm not going to say it wasn't delicious, but I was like, this isn't a light-bodied Pinot Noir.
0: Yeah, that's that's really what it is. I I give her, Andy a hard time for name-checking stuff because I'm like, hey, Andy, people who are listening might love Mayomi. They might have a case of it at their house. So it's, if... If you're one of those people. That's okay, right? It's so, okay. There's a
1: reason it's so, it's so successful.
0: Yeah, but it is. It is just very telling that the direction that Pinot Noir has gone is this wine that is nothing at all like what 100% Pinot actually is. Yeah. Right.
1: I imagine my interpretation of this is that Mayomi. Let's just we're just gonna continue using that. You could just is say that,
0: full-bodied Pinots, full-bodied, Andy. Jeez.
1: It helps here, but maybe a couple decades ago. One vintage was a little fuller, and then they realized people really liked that. It sold really well. And they're like, oh, let's try this again, where it's like, I imagine there's a slow evolution.
0: Sure. There's like Russian River Valley pinots and Sonoma County pinots often have, they tend to get a little bit riper, and so they have a little bit more power to them. And so that's kind of where this started, and people saw that that was, you know, successful and that people gravitated towards that. But then, you know, where it has gone now in terms of what the hell is the other 25% of that wine? What else are you putting in the wine? That kind of stuff. That's where I start to get, you know, I don't know.
1: No, it gets scared. yeah. That's why you shop at Table Wine. Because you can trust what's here.
0: <laughs> Try. And okay. small
1: business in general. It's For small business. This Thanksgiving with your wine buying. If you can
0: and this whole holiday season, I would say. Yeah. Right? No matter when you listen to this episode. That's true. We're here for you. Yes. You know, that's what we're here for. Right? Small businesses are here for the, its customers.
1: I like that as the table wine slogan. Table wine, we're here for you. We're here for you. Generic enough, it's perfect.
0: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. Um, this has been absolutely delightful. It took us a little while to actually like get up and running.
1: I know, it's so good though. It's but so here great. we are. Well, I think this has been a good Thanksgiving special though.
0: Thank you. I um, agree. There are no large balloons. There are no dogs. I'm just thinking <laughs> about like what are other Thanksgiving things?
1: Well, I'm trying to think what like the verbal equivalent of a Macy's Day parade could be. Yeah. I think Molly singing maybe with giving us oh, yeah? some karaoke. Mm. Um,
0: You're going to have to get me a lot more wine so than a quarter of a glass. we're going to go out
1: on Molly singing Macy's, Gr- Macy's
0: Grace. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't even remember the words to that song. <laughs> I don't remember the song. I'll like try to July. walk away and I stumble. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. It's all been a secret plan to get our singing careers launched.
0: Uh, no. Who doesn't launch a pop singing career at 42? I don't know.
1: <laughs> well... This has been delightful. (laughs) This is our Thanksgiving special. This was our Thanksgiving special. Thank you so much for listening. Have a happy, delightful, joyous, comfortable, satiating Thanksgiving.
0: Thank you, everybody. We're so grateful for you. Chin, chin. Chin, chin.
1: The Table Wine Podcast is brought to you by me. Andy Stoiber, and Molly Moran. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Craig Ely of FieldNoise.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Table Wine Shop. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in again soon.